Barney's doesn't guarantee success. Vogue doesn't guarantee success. What guarantees success is if you actually find an audience that actually loves your product. We've been very slow to change in terms of how technology has impacted our lives. A new social network can pop up overnight and completely change our business model. Hello and welcome to the Glossy Podcast, our weekly show where we discuss fashion, luxury, and technology with the people making change happen. I'm Glossy Senior Reporter Hillary Milnes, and with me this week is Eric Corman, the CEO and founder of Fleur, a sustainable direct-to-consumer perfume brand. Thanks for joining us, Eric. Hi, Hillary. Thanks for uh, having us. Glad to be here. Great. So I want to start, before we get into what Fleur is all about, I want to start with with your background before you started the company. You are Ticketmaster, Ralph Lauren. How did you end up in, in fragrance? Yeah, so you know, I've been around e-commerce uh, since um, about '99, as I like to joke. I'm a little bit the the old man of the internet, um, <laughs> and so I've seen really the transformation from the beginning. Um, and actually, fragrance really wasn't part of my journey uh, during most of that time. So. When I got to Ralph Lauren, I probably hadn't worn uh, perfume or cologne since I was about 13, right? Going to like the middle school dance um, or something like that. (laughs) And then lapsed out of the category entirely. And at Ralph Lauren, I actually first noticed fragrance from a business perspective, meaning um, I oversaw global e-commerce at Ralph Lauren and one of the products that we did have online was fragrance. And one day I was going through my profit and loss statement and I noticed that I was not making a lot of margin selling fragrance. And I thought that was a little odd because the little I did understand about fragrance was that the cost of goods sold, you know, generally is, isn't that high. And so I went to speak to the head of licensing and he kind of explained the category to me and how L'Oreal, Estee and Cody essentially dominate uh, what you would find at a fragrance counter and that they're predominantly licensed brands, right? Licensed from either a designer or licensed from a celebrity. Mm-hmm. And Ralph themselves had a license with L'Oreal. And so I was buying wholesale product uh, prices, if you will, and he was getting the royalty income. And more importantly, just being someone who's curious and uh, you know, consumer of many different kinds of products and brands, uh, that introduction got me a little uh, interested in learning more. So I went over to Barney's one day, which was near our offices in New York City. And downstairs at Barney's, they have a very wide and diverse collection of very high-end niche fragrances. And these were brands I had never, you know, heard of before. I had certainly never smelled. And so I I became interested because I was a studier, if you will, a student of brands. And I started smelling the products and they smelled totally different than my preconceived notions of the word perfume and cologne and department store and what that should smell like. Mm -hmm. And I began to get captivated by the category. And that's really what drew me into fragrance to begin with. So that's really interesting. Um, because it is a very, in this age of transparency and direct-to-consumer brands, fragrance really is kind of one of like the last remaining industries that is, that's very mysterious and, and pretty, um, you know, obtuse about, you know, how it works and where these perfumes are actually coming from. When You know, like, I feel like most people don't know that when you're buying the Ralph Lauren fragrance, you're buying a L'Oreal product. So can you just take us into the 
what's the production process like? Um, you know, we spend a lot of time looking at the supply chains of, you know, direct to consumer, sustainable, transparent brands that are trying to yep. really open, um, the, you know, shed light on on this process that was previously, you know, pretty, um, you know, intricate and, and secretive. So, how do you, you know, how, where is you know your production happening? How does it? How did you even like start from scratch there? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> sure. No, uh, it's a great question, and you're absolutely right. Uh, you know, as I started to get excited about some of the products in the category, meaning the way fragrance can make you feel, right? Because it's this very evocative product because it, you know, ties into your olfactive system, right? Which is part of, um, you know, your limbic system and it controls emotions um, as it ties back to your reptilian brain. At the same time, as I like to say, the category hasn't changed since the days of World War II, right? The messaging, to your point, the branding, um, the lack of real transparency and communication in terms of just even what fragrance is. Um, and the government, you know, hasn't helped there, meaning the FDA or other government bodies don't actually require you to put anything on the bottle other than just the word fragrance. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, obviously there's your safety standards, but a lot of things can be in fragrance. And that felt a, to me as a customer, now a customer of the category wrong, Right. I wanted to understand what was going into the bottle. And as I started to understand what often did go into the bottle, I found there were a lot of things that A, didn't need to be there and um, that B, we could create products that I thought in many ways were more evocative emotionally, were more interesting from an olfactive perspective Mm -hmm. that would remove the things um, that weren't necessary and at the same time communicate the choices that we made as a brand crisply to our customers and ultimately like, you know, let them make their own educated choices and decisions. And so as we journeyed out, since I don't have obviously a background in fragrance, the first thing I did was surround myself with experts uh, who did have deep knowledge uh, in the fragrance category and brought on two people as fragrance advisors. Uh, The first uh, is a gentleman named Chandler Burr who isn't a perfumer by background himself, but uh, has acted as a fragrance critic. He used to work at the New York Times. He's written some notable books about fragrance, and he's very knowledgeable uh, about the category. And then two, from a more uh, specific knowledge base around the category and how fragrances are created, uh, brought an evaluator, a woman named Anne Serrano McLean, who had her own artisanal line out of Brooklyn herself. And the three of us worked together on creating the original inspirations behind each of the fragrances. Like what are the moods and moments we want to try to convey as a fragrance? And then from a supply chain perspective, went to the actual fragrance houses. And what I mean by that is Estee Lauder, L'Oreal and Cody, interestingly, don't create any of the fragrances they sell. Uh They are sales and marketing companies and distribution companies. Right. 
Higher up in the food chain are fragrance houses, companies uh, by the name of Simrise or Mon or IFF, which is one of the largest. And these companies traditionally have two sides of their business. One is flavoring, so adding flavor to food. The other half is fragrance. And most fragrances that they're creating on the market are being sold in um, commercial products, commercial household products, right? Mm -hmm. uh, laundry detergent, dryer sheets, et cetera. There's a crown jewel within there related to fine fragrance. And there's a division of perfumers and chemists devoted to creating fine fragrances. And we went and spoke to probably six or seven major houses in New York with what our idea was, what we wanted to do, how we wanted to create products in a more you know, green and clean manner, if you will, right. and then transparently explain that to customers. And ultimately, based on the dialogue and interaction we had with different houses, we found the two houses that shared a very similar outlook to our own and were very supportive of what we were trying to accomplish. Mm -hmm. So what makes, what could make a fragrance like not sustainable or not green? Um, you know, what are the, what are the ingredients yeah. that you wanted to avoid? Well, so, you know, it, at a very high level, when you think about I think changes that we've made in terms of how we eat, you know, that's something that's very um, present in people's minds today. And so they often land in a place where as they think about fragrance, the first move is, oh, well, it should be organic and it should be 100% botanical, mm -hmm. right? Because that would mean really good. And if you're eating food, that's generally true. Uh, but fragrance is different. Um, your skin is not your stomach, right? Your skin is actually pretty much designed to be a barrier against the outside world, not a sponge the way your stomach is. Mm -hmm. And it will only let certain size molecules through. And so we spent time kind of understanding the science behind that and where you land is realizing, ah, if you want to balance two competing objectives, which we do, which is one, uh, good for you and then two good for the planet. That means you don't always want to use botanicals because some botanicals from an environmental perspective, if they're being harvested, you know, and, uh, created as crops just for fragrance, isn't necessarily doing ecosystems any good, right? And you can create in a safe and uh, sustainable manner in a lab molecules that will replicate, if you will, that same olfactive presence that that botanical has when it's distilled. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah. And so we went through the process with the perfumers of giving them that guidance of that's what we want to be able to balance. And that too, the other thing using certain, as I like to call them, safe synthetics or, you know, molecules created in a lab enables you to do is avoid skin allergens. You know, most botanicals um, or many botanicals, I should say, contain uh, a skin allergen. And so by avoiding those botanicals and then using uh, molecules created in a lab that are isolated and again, avoid those skin irritants, we can remove skin allergens. Then we looked at certain things like musks and there are certain musks that have been shown to bioaccumulate potentially, you know, in the body. Mm. And so we said, let's not use any of those musks. There's only been one musk to show that it won't bioaccumulate. And so 
unfortunately, like the world at large, it's very gray. It's not black and white. People like black and white answers. Uh, but we spent time in the gray on the ingredients and then also in an additives level. So one of the things that struck me uh, is very odd coming outside into the category, if you will, is the very simple fact that light damages fragrance. Right. Right. Yet they're all sold in clear bottles. Mm-hmm. So what that means is if you put your fragrance in a clear bottle and oh, by the way, you add coloring to it, right? Because typically they're sold in a clear bottle so that you can see the liquid and they want the liquid to be the same color as the brand, if you will, right? Like light blue for Dolce & Gabbana. Right. Um, They have to add a stabilizer called BHT. Now, it's very unclear whether BHT is something good to spray on your skin or not good to spray on your skin. And our position is, if it's unclear, let's not use it, especially when you don't need to, because the obvious answer is simply make the bottle opaque, don't add coloring, and now you don't need that additive, which is what we've done. Mm-hmm. Really interesting. And so, you know, it seems like there's a lot happening and um, a lot of things that you guys are sort of doing against the norm here. But from when you started, especially in and up to now, what's, what's the customer perception? You know, how much are people in, that you've found, are people informed about how this industry works? How much do they care about what's in their fragrance? And, you know, how, have you had to like retrain the way that they think about it? You know, it's been interesting. We thought before we launched that the formulation, if you will, and the transparency uh, in which we communicate about the product wouldn't be a primary message. That would be a secondary or tertiary message. And that the primary message would really be more around an amazing new way to discover fragrance, right? Go online, purchase a sample set, live with the product in real life, and avoid the department store that you're not really going to anyway these days, right? right? (laughs) Um, And what we have found, especially over the past several months, is uh, the communication and idea around safer fragrance really does resonate with consumers because of, I think, the journey that many customers have been on in their own lives over the past 10 years that started with organic foods and then we've seen over the past five years make its way into beauty, right, and beauty care products and then this natural extension now into fragrance. And while many people don't necessarily understand what I just communicated about, they do have a desire and to want to understand more and or take comfort and safety in the fact that we're willing to explain all of our decisions and we're willing to even publish our ingredients list, right? Like one of literally the only fragrance brands to do so. Right where they feel like, okay, these are people that are sharing values that are similar to my own and making the decisions based on the best information they have at that time. And that has, we've seen really start to resonate with our audience in a, in a major way. Right. I mean, you mentioned it yourself, natural beauty, um, really people paying attention to their skincare. Like that's, that's really top of mind right now. People are looking at the ingredients list and it feels like it's almost surprising that there hasn't been more of a focus Um, on that within the fragrance industry already. Absolutely. And we've seen so many customers even say that, meaning, as you know, people will comment on Facebook ads all the time. And we'll put up an ad that says something about what we're, you and I are talking about. And the response will be, wow, I never even thought of that. But now that I have, 
you know, why haven't I thought about what I'm spraying onto my skin every day? Right. So it's, um, you know, there is definitely an awareness element to it and us, you know, stirring the pot a little bit is part of our challenge. There is an education component as people need to dig in and understand a little bit more. Um, but I think we're really just at the beginning of hopefully where the category is going to evolve to over the past five years. And I think it's no different than if you look, you know, 15 years ago, um, at whole foods, nobody was really talking about organic and they really changed the social discourse around organic in a major way. Whereas today, Walmart is the largest right, supplier of organic food in the country. Right. That didn't happen because Walmart was leading that, that intellectual thought effort that came as a reaction to customer demand. And so I expect to see, especially with, you know, millennials to young Gen X, a real change in perception around fragrance and the way it's created and formulated as this idea starts to bubble. And fortunately there's, you know, some other brands like ourselves, you know, trying to bring that message out there. Right. And, and so going along with that, you, and you mentioned at the beginning, you know, all of, well, so many fragrance friends are licensed and it's associated with a designer or a celebrity. <laughs> you know, how do you, how do you send the message about what, about who you guys are and, you know, why, why flare over a brand that you've heard of before? You know, like how do you sort of sell perfume without that association? So uh, to me, I, you know, we created the brand for customers who actually find that association somewhat tenuous and uninteresting, you know, meaning what does it mean to buy fragrance from Tom Ford or Katy Perry or Tommy Hilfiger? Those brands don't represent fragrance, right? They're, you're buying that brand. The customers who are buying that brand typically are buying it as an entry point right mm-hmm. into this lifestyle that they believe they want to be a part of. So, and to me that goes a bit counter to a lot of the trends we're seeing in up and coming and emerging brands, like the types of brands you guys spend a lot of time talking about, right? Brands that are a lot more genuine in their belief system that are very transparent in terms of how they communicate about their supply chain and, and why they even came to exist and form their business. Mm -hmm. And so why I was attracted to fragrance and why I feel like there's an opportunity to create a brand in a very different way is, you know, ultimately we've been wearing fragrance since the days of ancient Egypt, like literally, right? So it's <laughs> something that we've been adorning ourselves with for that long. That's not a trend. And I think what's behind that is because of the power uh, and the raw emotion that fragrance can help unleash. And so we think about fragrance as how does it help elevate every moment in your day? right? From the most melancholy to the most joyful. And unlike, you know, a traditional aspirational brand, essentially communicating, you should, you know, pray at the temple mount to the altar of our brand and you're joining our club. To us, I think what's interesting uh, about modern brands today is much more the idea of 
we're here to help support you, the customer, and help you achieve what you want, not uh, we've created a picture and a painting telling you what you need. Mm-hmm. That's it's interesting. And I want you to talk about um, what you hinted at, which is the business model, which is how, you know, a big part of fragrance is what it smells like, and you really can't <laughs> you can't get the idea of that very well <laughs> online. So, so you yep. guys came up with a way to sort of solve for that. Yeah. So, you know, one of the things that drew me to the category w- was I felt like the existing customer journey w- wasn't that exciting. Meaning, walking into a department store, being in a room surrounded with fragrance, right? Almost too much scent to smell any individual ingredient. And then, you know, sort of having products sprayed in your face, if you will, by an entry level sales associate or, you know, being given a little paper stick to smell it on. Mm -hmm. And, you know, one of the things that we noticed early on is you're actually not made of paper, right? (laughs) And so fragrance is going to smell different on you than it is on a, on a piece of paper and fragrance is meant to evolve over time. You know, the, as you wear it in the beginning of the day is going to change throughout the day. So you need to have the time to be able to understand that journey. And so as we thought about selling fragrance online, it was, it was about how do we solve for what I saw as the limitations, uh, ironically of selling fragrance in a physical environment. Mm Mm-hmm. And that was about ultimately getting samples into your hand that you could try and live with on your own. And the way we um, sort of unraveled the riddle of, well, we have six fragrances. How do you understand or decide which ones you should start with came down back to the idea that fragrance is about emotion. And so, you know, you had asked earlier um, about how we created the products obviously everything starts with an idea. So when we spoke to the perfumers, we built creative briefs, meaning we showed them visual storyboards. We played them music. uh, We gave them words all related to one of the scents, one of the ideas that we wanted them to translate. And we went to the digital experience. We basically just flipped that into a customer facing experience where we said, ah, we're going to paint a picture around fragrance in terms of how it's going to make you feel. Because we learned from a woman who has a degree in the psychology of scent that you actually smell with your eyes first, that you rely on your other senses to put scent into context. And so we use pictures, we use words, we even use music. Each fragrance has its own Spotify soundtrack, which, (laughs) you know, we embedded uh, Spotify into each one of our product detail pages. So you can get a really deep, uh, immersive sense of how that fragrance is going to make you feel. And if that stirs you, odds are you'll like that fragrance and you should put it into your sample set. And so you go through the site, you choose the three fragrances that connect with you the most. And for $15, you get a sample set delivered right to your door. It's an amazing, very elevated unboxing experience. And we put enough fragrance in the box so that ultimately you can wear each fragrance for about seven to 10 days. So for $15, you have a month long fragrance journey. And then when you fall in love with one of those fragrances, if not more at the end of the journey, we apply the $15 you spent on your sample set towards one of our full price bottles, uh, you know, big bottles uh, at $85. Mm-hmm. Interesting. And and so, you know, 
when customers are first inter- intercounting or encountering it, were they like, it's kind of like, okay, the, the Warby Parker model where you try on the mm-hmm. glasses at home and, uh, you know, how often are you seeing that people are actually making the purchase? Like, was there any sort of, what was the lear- the learning curve like where, where like people were actually saying like, okay, this is, this is a new cool way to buy perfume. And, you know, how did you sort of communicate that, um, you mentioned Spotify. Um, you know, what does a social media strategy look like for for an uh, online fragrance brand? Yeah, sure. So um, I think what we've seen from customers and what we've learned in terms of the experience that we've created and how they engage with it uh, early on kind of fell into two camps. You know, one camp in all you know generalize um, because it's easier, but one camp of you know tended to be younger customers would come through the experience with a pretty open mind, right? They'd be like, huh, this is interesting. This is different. You know, they're of uh, the digital age, if you will, right? Mm -hmm. And going on their smartphone and checking out this digital experience and listening to the music and and picking out some samples and having them sent, they're part of the share, you know, the sampling economy already. Maybe they, you know, buy products from Ipsy or Birchbox or somewhere else. That all seemed, I think, to them pretty natural and comfortable and were excited to try to do something in a little bit different way. I think they saw the fun in it. Right. Some older customers who may be more traditional fragrance customers needed a little more help along the way. I think we're taken a little bit aback by the process. And specifically, one of the things we did early on is we didn't list the notes of the fragrance uh, for each fragrance. So, you know, typically if you go on, you know, any site that's selling any fragrance in like a typical product catalog, usually all you'll see is a picture of a bottle, right? A description of how the bottle size, basically it's price and then some notes, right? They'll say it's a floriental with spicy, you know, cinnamony wood on top and, you know, describe the heart of the fragrance. Mm -hmm. And to me is I, became engaged in the category as a customer, that language was not helpful. If anything, it was as opaque as everything else in the category, right? It was kind of like how onophiles talk about wine in a way where you're either in their like secret little club and you understand, you know, oh, you know, the South facing terroir of, you know, uh, of France produces this type of grape um, with this kind of velvety texture, et cetera that makes them feel good and you feel bad. <laughs> right. And when, you know, and when you talk to perfumers, most of them will say to you, yeah, notes really don't mean a whole lot because there's so many different ingredients going into that bottle and we're creating something that's literally a work of art. You know, it's a unique presentation of an idea. So if I tell you that there's bergamot, lemon, you know, leather, quote unquote, which obviously isn't an ingredient. It's just a description of a, of an idea of a scent, mm-hmm. et cetera. In a product, I can, depending on how I've composed all those things, they can smell radically different. It's like if I said to you, like, tonight you're going to have chicken, you'd have a vague understanding of what that was, but that could be prepared in a thousand different ways. Right. It's all about what it's with. And, Exactly. And so I just sort of rejected that and said, we're not going to use notes because I don't think they make any sense. Um, But to your earlier comment around retraining people, 
that's the way the industry has been communicating right for 50 years is around notes and this idea that they do mean something. And so for certain customers, customers, I would argue that were actually more in the category and, and usually more knowledgeable as well, were really uh, taken aback by the fact that there were not notes and, and couldn't understand how they could ever sa even sample something without knowing what the main notes were. And so that was a learning process. And, you know, we heard that through social media loud and clear mm -hmm. and reacted and made an adjustment. And now we explain on our website why we don't think notes are that important, but who are we to stop you from knowing what they are right. and what they are and you can make your own choice. Right. People just need something to go off of. <laughs> so, so what you mentioned how Spotify gives you that that mood of the scent. Um, you know, what does an Instagram feed look like for you guys? Yeah. So for us, Instagram has been a focus, you know, we've, as you would imagine, we've, we've, you know, taken Instagram in a couple of different directions since we've launched, but at a very high level, what we've always wanted it to be is a representation of the brand and ultimately from my perspective, joy, right? I, I think Fleur exists to help bring joy into people's lives. You know, fragrance sh shouldn't be complicated, shouldn't make you feel bad. At the end of the day, fragrance is all about what you like, right? That's the most important thing is finding what you like, not what some expert says you should like. Right. And so if I'm going to exist in your life, if I have the right to exist in your life as a brand, it's how do I make it more additive? How do I make it more mindful? How do I make it more joyful? And so our Instagram feed has, since the beginning, kind of used that as a guiding light where we're trying to show different joyful slices of life and how fragrance can relate to that. And then... When we had originally launched over time, uh, we did spend, you know, a month or so at a time going deeper into each of the fragrances and sort of introducing that fragrance, if you will, to our audience and showing that fragrance visually painting a picture uh, beyond what was even on the website. Uh, we've kind of moved past that at this point and we're focusing much more on those themes of how fragrance can elevate every moment and hopefully connecting with people on that level. Right. That's, that's, um, it's such a big place for, for fashion, but you know, and you have to think about the the visual of fragrance. That's, I feel like another, another, uh, it's definitely a challenge. To crack. Yeah. It's definitely uh, a challenge. You're not, you can't show just showing lots of pictures of bottles is less interesting. Right. <laughs> I think it's more at, you know, we kind of go through a combination of, uh, inspirational imagery, uh, things we call like scent 101, where we're kind of breaking down something for someone like, you know, what is nose blindness? And we'll have a cute little quote about that and then more information below. Um, and then also commenting on as a brand, you know, design is something that's very important to us. You know, we've been very specific and thoughtful on our design choices, not only in terms of how we ensure they're as sustainable as possible, but also in terms of the aesthetics of our brand and putting forward a modern, clean presentation. Yeah. 
And so we want to also reference, you know, some of our inspiration in that process and what inspires us to hopefully provide a deeper layer of connection to a customer and understanding us. Right. That just that like brand awareness, brand story, um, you know, thing that every brand has to go through now, um, on the, on the startup side. Uh, well, great. Well, thank you so much, Eric. We're, we're just about out of time, but thanks for sort of walking us through this new, uh, chapter of, of fragrance production. And we're, you know, I'm I'm excited to see where, where this, uh, sector goes. Well, thank you, Hillary. It was a pleasure to be with you today and we appreciate you, uh, trying to help tell part of our story. Absolutely. Uh, Great. And thank you for listening. We'll be back next week with another episode. And in the meantime, be sure to follow us on iTunes, Stitcher, and Google Play and leave us any feedback you have. 